Joe has asked me um, to preach from the same passage, actually, that I preached on when I was here the last time. So this time, we are going to be going a little deeper. But what's quite, quite interesting, as I've really sought God for you all this morning, there's quite similar symbolism and prophetic edge. So I think it's, it is about, let's go deeper. So Exodus 31, verses 1 to 11. The Lord spoke to Moses. See, I have called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with divine spirit, with ability, intelligence, and knowledge in every kind of craft, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, in every kind of craft. Moreover, I have appointed with him Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given skill to all the skillful, so that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tent of meeting and the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils and the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin with its stand and the finely worked vestments, the holy vestments for the priest Aaron and the vestments of his sons for their service as priests and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. They shall do just as I have commanded you. Father, I pray that I will be a blessing this morning for these people that you love. Use me as a vehicle. May I be true to your word. And thank you for your presence. Father, I thank you for the precious gift that Anna has and all that she brings. And also, Father, I thank you for that anointed sung worship this morning, for the songwriting, for the singer, for the musicians. We are indeed blessed, Lord. Amen. We're going to begin, I'm going to set my alarm, well not so much my alarm, but my stopwatch. <laughs> I don't want to frighten everybody, hang on one second. Um, and uh, because um, Joe has asked me to absolutely keep to 20 minutes, but before I begin speaking, I would like us to watch a film. So please enjoy. We are the body of Christ. How can the eye say to the hand, I don't need you? How can the leg say to the arm, I don't need you? That is one of the most powerful dance pieces I have ever seen. And I just felt the Lord wanted me to share it with you this morning because I really do believe that Christ Church Down End is going to be used by God in the furtherance of creativity in this diocese and beyond, and will be reaching out and saying, let me be a leg for you. Let me be an arm for you. I really believe you have a calling to bring restoration and healing via creativity and the creative arts. 
God wants to tell a story in you, the story of you, that is unlike any story ever before or to come. In Ephesians 2.10 it says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. The word workmanship in the Greek is poema, for which we get our word poem. God wants to stand on the stage of eternity and shout a poem to the universe, and that poem is you. These are the words of Bob and Joel Kilpatrick in their book, The Art of Being You, How to Live as God's Masterpiece. I'm delighted to be here for the second time to preach once again on these amazing scriptures. As I was reading through them, as I was preparing, as I was saying, Lord, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to bring? There were three aspects of God's character that kept coming to me. His intention, his motivation, and his behavior over and over and over again. His intention to build the tabernacle, his motivation behind it, and his behavior, what he says, what he does, what he instructs. And artistry is in the very center of all this. Artistry is in the center of bringing the presence of God, of God saying, this is my room, I live here, and this is how it's to be furnished. Let's have a theological moment. Um, We know we are made in the image of God, and our God is a creator God. The first words in the Bible are, God created the heavens and the earth. We know them only too well. You see, the Greeks held that the cosmos had always existed, always been matter out of which the word had come into its, the world, sorry, had come into its present form. But the early church fathers came up with the doctrine of creation out of nothing, creatio ex nihilo as it's called which speaks of God bringing into existence out of non-existence. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I think it's crucial for us to understand the nature of God. Because artists and creatives, they bring into existence out of non-existence. I have worked with, particularly with dancers over the years, but with many genres, visual artists, musicians, actors, and I see them, I see them create, and they stand back and they see that it is good, but I see them bring into the space what you have here, this glorious space. And as you bring all this creativity, and it affects the space, And it provokes change and transformation and challenge and speaks of narrative. Artists, this is why it's such an important vehicle in today's world, bring into existence out of non-existence. And this is what God was doing with the tabernacle. He was saying, do this, do that. He was bringing into existence out of non-existence a place where he could live. God surrounds himself with artistry. He's intentional about this. So let's keep creating. Let's keep creating. It really is, I believe, and may I just say, this is not everyone's bag. I realize this. We don't all resonate easily with this particular channel. But it is a channel that God can use. And it will reach people that aren't going to be reached any other way. I think we have to remember, actually, that I think, or even think about, that the rational mind, has ha- it's time for it to come down from its throne. It really is. It's time to come down from its throne. I'm trying to work it all out. 
God wants to bring into existence out of non-existence. Bring healing and restoration, imagination. Let's think about the tabernacle for a moment as we read this morning. What does it look like? Well, I'm sure many of you have seen diagrams. We've got the tabernacle sometimes refers to the inner tent, you know, the tent um, construction where divided into two, which is the holy place and the holy of holies. And sometimes it refers also to the court around that, the outer court. Um, uh, but I always tend to think of it as, as the whole thing. John Oswald says, not only does the tabernacle structure symbolize the presence of God with his people, it also shows how sinful people can come into and live in the presence of a holy God. And we as believers in Jesus Christ, that is the incredible gift that we have as sinful people. Yes, I know our sins are all washed away, but we do get it wrong sometimes, don't we? We are continually being cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And sinful people can live in his presence. And um, something that really spoke to me as I was preparing for this morning was, we all know the story in Genesis when God, you know, Adam and Eve had had the enormous privilege of walking with God in the cool of the day. And of course they'd fall and they'd sinned and all the awful stuff comes in like shame and they're hiding and, they're, and, and all these things. And God comes along and says, where are you? And what really spoke to me was that, um, I didn't know my husband was going to be here this morning, actually, but it spoke to me of my husband. Because over the years, sometimes when he came home from work and he's desperate to say what he wanted to say, or perhaps just something very much on his mind, and as soon as he step in, stepped into the hall, he'd say, where are you? And I think God is wanting to say to all of us, where are you? I'm doing everything I can to meet you. The holiness of God could not meet directly anymore the sinfulness of humanity. So we had to set up these structures in place so that actually he could manage it. And this is what the tabernacle was all about before, of course, Jesus Christ. And let's just think about the tabernacle for a moment. And some of the um, pieces in the tab tabernacle that are mentioned in our reading we think, if we think about it as we're going in, we've got the uh, brazen altar, the place of sacrifice. I, some of us who love animals, I think this is very difficult to think about. But if we look at the Christian application to that, and I'd also like to say that theologians and scholars over the years have, have disagreed on this. Some have felt that we should not look at the Christian application of the tabernacle. That's not fair to, the, to Judaism. But I have to share, for me, I have found the Christian application of the tabernacle hugely edifying and helpful and valuable. And I can only, I, I, just, I just see Jesus. I see it points to him. It's a forerunner. It's prophetic. It's messianic. And let's just go back anyway to the brazen altar. The place of sacrifice, the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. We cannot get to the Holy of Holies unless we go past the brazen altar. 
And then, then we've got the, the laver. And do you know what? This great big burnished, it's fantastic place of washing, huge thing that people would come to, like massive bowl. And it was so polished, the Jewish people so polished it, that it was literally like a mirror. So that when you looked at it and you came to cleanse yourself, you, you remembered what you looked like. And I wonder actually whether um, um, James was thinking of this when he wrote in, in James 1 verse 24. Anyone who hears the word but does not carry it out is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after observing himself immediately goes away and forgets what he looks like. So we've got the place of sacrifice, the place of washing. Then you go into the holy place. And on the right, you've got the table with the showbread, 12 loaves of bread. What's interesting in pagan times, of course, this is where the gods would sit at the table to feed themselves. But the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he wanted to feed us. And then we've got the lampstand, the menorah, on the left, where the, where the light wasn't permitted to go out. And this represented the light that God was to his people in the darkened world of sin. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so the Psalms say. And what's so interesting is that when we read in John, when Jesus goes to the feast, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, we can be pretty sure that when he said, I am the light of the world, he was looking at the huge menorahs that were there at the festival, which the rabbis said not one courtyard in Jerusalem was not lit by this, this incredible light. And Jesus is saying, that's pointing to me. It's pointing to me. And then, of course, you've got the altar of incense. We're in the holy place right now. I'm not going to talk about the holy of holies. But we've got the altar of incense, which is the perfume, of course, of the, of the, um, of the prayers of the saints and the intercessions of the saints. That's the objects in the holy place bring blessing, light, sustenance, and communion it's always his intention, motivation, and behavior to bring light, sustenance, and communion. And artistry is right in the middle of that. Because if we look at the scriptures here, we see that God has done quite an extraordinary thing. He's actually, it's quite unusual in the biblical narrative here, he has chosen this man, um, Bezalel, and also Aholiab, and he's filled him with his spirit. For specifically for works of artistry. Specifically for works of artistry. And he's, he's filled him with, with ability, intelligence and knowledge and every kind of craft to devise artistic designs, etc., etc., to work in gold, silver and bronze. But what's so important that we realise that God has done this because this is who he is. He is an artist, he is crea fundamentally creative, and that's how he wants us to be. We are made in his image, and we need to reflect that. And you know what I was thinking? That our three daughters now live away, um, and um, I don't know about you, but no one prepared me for the empty nest. It's quite hard, isn't it? 
It's quite hard. And um, anyway, I know if one of them was saying, Mum, I'll come back for a year, I'd be, yes. And I'd rush up to their bedroom, and I know that I would prepare their bedroom with everything that would speak of them. I'd get new duvets, possibly, put up some art artistry and crafty-type things that spoke of them, who they are, what they are. This is what God is doing here. This is what you're doing here. It's the most beautiful church you have. You are so blessed. God has spoken to me quite profoundly about you all. You are so blessed. I'm just looking to see if I've got... Um, I didn't actually reset it. Um, but I, I'll tell you a funny story, if I may, just for a moment. Um, that talking about um, the tabernacle and the pieces of the tabernacle... Um, my husband and I, we've had people, artists, staying in our home, sometimes teams of artists <laughs> arriving um, for many years. And this one particular time, this amazing guy, Anna knows him well, called Andy Rain. Andy Rain um, is a Roman Catholic. He does the most phenomenal work. And he, somehow, God anoints him to raise up men to dance. And firstly, that they come to uh, commitment to Jesus Christ first. And then, and a lot of them are bikers, they get up and they dance for God. Absolutely incredible. Well, this particular time, Andy, this is typical Andy, Anna will know this. He, he, um, we're arriving at 2 a.m., Erica. Oh, here we go. So about four or five or maybe six of these guys arrive at 2 a.m. And Richard, of course, was at work the next day and he was asleep. And they had different objects, artifacts for their workshops and what they were doing. And they had a life-size Ark of the Covenant, the cherubim, the lot, life-size. And as this thing came out of this van and we managed to get through through our front door and all the rest, not things, sorry, Father, as the ark came in, and he went through and in, in into the sitting room, and I said, you better put it, just leave it there. But I forgot to mention to Richard. <laughs> so the next morning, he got up, and, uh, and of course, he was, you know, realising everyone was very late, so he kind of, like, the, the, the whole light was on, and he opened the sitting room door, and then this light illuminated on the ark of the covenant. He said he jumped out of his skin and thought he was having some sort of spiritual apparition. It was absolutely hilarious. We laugh about that very often. So, there was one phrase for you that really, really jumped out at me, and it is in cutting stones for setting. And I thought, what's all this about, Father? And I was led to a very, a, a scripture I've never particularly noticed before, and it's in Ezekiel 28, and it's about the king of Tyre. Now, the king of Tyre falls from grace. It's rather negative. We're not going to focus on that. I just want you to listen to verse 13 in Ezekiel 28. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Then there's a list of all these precious stones. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. It's incredible. I hadn't really connected the significance of the precious stones. And and how, how we use precious stones all the time. How precious stones are used in engagements, in birthdays, in giving in friendship, in a new births. God uses precious stones often in signet rings. Look at the bishop's precious stone. That's not mine, by the way. But I'm just saying that, that I think that, that um, it's important that we think about how God is fashioning us. And I asked the Lord for a picture 
And Alan, if you could put up the picture for me, if you would. The, the, foot, the, the crown, yeah. This is the picture that I feel God gave me for you all. That this is the oldest crown that we have belonging to an English queen from the 1300s. I think it's very beautiful. And God is saying that he has fashioned you all as precious stones. That some of you, I felt he was saying, have gone through turbulence and difficulties and hard times, but you have persevered. And I was led to James 1.12 and Revelations 2.10 because you have, you have been given the crown of life. You will be given the crown of life. And you are so precious and fundamental to this crown because you are going to receive the crown of life and you have persevered. And I just feel God is saying that when it's cutting precious stones, that some of you felt cut but you've been fashioned and you are beautiful. And I felt that God was saying as well that, um, that you, some of you might be feeling that you, um, that you are just a little tiny stone and it really is nothing of any great significance. I think God is saying that every precious stone was your covering. You are resplendent to God. And I feel some of you might be struggling and wanting to be more precious, bigger and brighter. And I think God is saying, you have no idea how I love you. Surrender to that. You are a crown in this area. You are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. I believe this crown is going to go before you. As far as creativity is concerned, that's what I'm here to talk about. Other things as well. But this crown will go before you. These beautiful, resplendent jewels will be seen. I really am excited for you. You are his workmanship. You are God's masterpiece. A very rare jewel, like jasper, clear, as crystal. I also feel that the Lord is just saying, before I just finish the rest, I've just got one more sentence to say that um, there are two people here that, that um, the Lord wants to heal. So if it's all right with Joe to invite, um, if anyone would like to pray with me afterwards or indeed with Joe or with Anna or with my husband or whatever, Please do, if that word is for you, please do come and pray with us. And I'm just going to finish by saying, it is his intention for you to approach him, to always remember that we get to the Holy of Holies via, via the brazen altar. That we always must remember to keep remembering what we look like and to keep coming and say, Holy Spirit, wash it away. He's always going to feed us. He's always going to light our way. This is his character. This is what he's created. And he brings his presence into that place. We can be sure of his presence. 
He delights in his creative expression and he delights in yours. His motivation is all about you and he paid the ultimate price. We end as we began with the words of a father and son. God wants to tell a story in you. The story of you. As individuals and as a church family. That is unlike any story ever before or to come. I believe that story hugely involves creativity. Thank you.